So this morning we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we continue our study on the spiritual gifts. I wanted to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, specifically I just want to read verses 8 uh, to 11, because that is our context. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 11, uh, I'm sorry, 8 to 12, and then we'll look at what those few verses mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit and to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another, the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy, to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. We're thankful for this text because it helps us understand what the Lord desires for his church in the area of the gifts. So uh, to that end, we look to Paul's teaching concerning the spiritual gifts as he wanted the Corinthians to be sure and certain as to what they were. So Paul wants the Corinthians to know exactly what the gifts are, exactly how they operate and how they were to function in the life of the church, how they were to counter the factions that have been developed as reported to Paul by Chloe's people. And he didn't want the people to simply come to a place where they agree to disagree about the gifts or they never discuss the gifts. They never understand the placement of the gifts and how long those gifts were to continue through the life of the church. And so as we look at this text, I'm getting that from verse one, for it reads there in chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So Paul did not want the church at uh, he did not want the believers at Corinth to be unaware of the gifts. He didn't want them to be confused. He didn't want the gifts to be unclear. And so we have the same heart as Paul concerning the gifts. So we look to this teaching. He wanted them to be sure. He wanted them to be certain. That's very important to say, because I believe that you and I can come to a place of surety and certainty concerning the gifts. He wanted them to know how the gifts operated in the church. He wanted them to know to whom were the gifts given and ultimately who was the source of the spiritual gifts, because That is very important. He says that further along in our particular text, but he also will revisit prophecy and he'll revisit languages as gifts, which we'll cover next time we're together. But today I want to discuss very briefly with you prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits, because those are the ones that Paul also mentioned that he wanted the Corinthians to not only practice, but to be acquainted with. So we look to those particular ones as we continue to look at the gift of prophecy. Paul wanted it to be evident in the life of the Corinthians. And I say that because we have to first, as I've said before, look at the historical context that we're in before we come to a conclusion about how are you and I to respond. We have to first have the patience to look at the historical context 
and then determine if we're meant to respond in the same way or if there's something that has changed or is distinct related to our time versus the time of the church in Corinth. So as we look at this gift, we first know that it is a gift. It is a gift. It's a gift prophecy given by the spirit. And that gift is given to some who were in the church. It was not given to all, but it was given to some who were in the church. We must understand, and this is very important because Paul is going to bring up prophecy again in chapter 14 as it relates to the superiority that it held relative to the other gifts. And we'll talk about that superiority tied to its purpose. But I want you to understand that there's two components of prophecy. So the gift is distributed by the Holy Spirit to the people of that time in the church at that time. And there are two components of it that I think are necessary for you to understand. The first one is it was divinely empowered and spirit-driven forth-telling. I'll repeat that. It was divinely empowered and spirit-driven forth-telling. The second one is divinely empowered and spirit-driven foretelling. Okay? So one is forth-telling and one is foretelling. And I'm going to explain the distinctions for you. But those are the two central components of prophecy, forthtelling and foretelling. Let's look at the first one. This divinely empowered and spirit-driven foretelling is proclaiming and asserting that which comes from the mind of God by the Spirit. So it is the proclaiming and asserting that which comes from From the mind of God by the spirit. So it is the spirit giving someone that which comes from the mind of God. And he can do that because we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10. It is the spirit who searches all things, even the mind of God. It is the spirit who searches all things, even the mind of God. Now, this gift was not to simply forecast events. It's not simply forecasting events, but rather to uh, to provide clarity and affirmation as to what has been. So it is to provide clarity and affirmation as to what has been. Okay. now I say that in a very particular way, because even though it has a component of foretelling, it's not as though the speaker or the prophet or those who possess the prophetic gift in this instance, are saying things that have nothing to do with what has happened before. The prophet is always declaring something in line with uh, with what has occurred prior to the time the prophet is speaking, even if the prophecy reaches into the future. So it's not like they're pulling something out of the air, so to speak, and just speaking about it, and you have to figure out if it's going to come true. It's that they are looking at Something related to God's very specific decrees and workings. And then they are telling you something that affirms and clarifies that divine reality. And that may indeed stretch into the future. So it is not to simply forecast events. It is to provide clarity and affirmation 
as to what has been. I would even say certainty as to what has been. And so given that, you have to understand that the first component, as you'll see with the second, must be done with absolute 100% accuracy and perfection. It has to be 100% accurate and it has to be perfect. Because what is the case if it's not? It would be called false prophecy. With this gift, there is a second component that I mentioned. And there is this divinely empowered, and I'm, I'm saying that over and over again so you get the idea that man's not conjuring this up in himself. And if it is in line with the spirit, then there is all truth involved in what is said and all accuracy. But it is divinely empowered and spirit driven foretelling. Now, this was not only to forecast events because there is an element of forecast in each of these. I believe one is probably more uh, to the degree larger than the than the other. But it is to disclose specifically what will be what will be related to the mind of God and his decrees. It has the element of what will be. It is not simply to predict, although it includes prediction. But it is to predict with perfect accuracy. It is to predict with perfect accuracy. Why? Because the prophet or the one who possesses the gift, the prophetic gift, is not speaking on his or her own accord. They're speaking that which is given to them from the spirit of God, from the mind of God. And they are speaking for God in this instance. And what they're saying is going to 100 percent come to fruition and be absolutely true. There is no room for error. There is no such thing as fallible gifts or fallible prophecies specifically. Now. I'll tell you because I know probably in your mind you're formulating questions, but there are often questions that I think are tied to this gift. And a lot of the questions that you hear about this gift are typically about the range of this gift. It's about what's the range and what's the scope of this gift? Not so much the depth of it, but what's the range of this gift? But to understand the role of prophecy in the early church as a gift of the spirit it is to understand it was 100% accurate when spoken. When this gift is used, it is 100% accurate. It's the same thing we discovered about the gift of healings or miracles. It's the same thing we discovered about uh, the gifts concerning wisdom and knowledge. It's the same related to the distinguishing of spirits, which we'll talk about. But you have to understand that all of these were 100% accurate, especially prophecy. So a person doesn't get to invoke this gift and be wrong or say that they possess the gift and they're saying things that have nothing to do with God's decrees. So there is an element of perfection in this because it is distributed by the spirit and therefore it must be perfect from the mouth to the ears and it must come to fruition perfectly. There are no, oh, well, what about this? Well, what about this? There are no hypotheticals that rule out this central tenet. It must be 100 percent 
accurate. Because if it's not, then you can be sure the one who is practicing whatever they're doing, they're soothsaying. They're false. Their words come not from God, but from Satan. It was 100% accurate, but listen to this. I want to help you understand what, what is this gift encased or enclosed in? How is it packaged when it appeared before the church? It was concentrated specifically in the work of God in Christ in the known world. Be it from their contemporary age, so from the time in which the prophet is invoking the gift or someone is invoking the gift of prophecy. It is from the contemporary age well into the future. But listen, in the scope of time in which we find this gift's range, it never goes beyond God's decrees. So however the range of this gift is practiced. It does not go beyond God's decrees. I also believe that prophecy is direct and specific, audible, uh, audible direction and proclamation from God himself. That is the essential nature of prophecy. It's why when we get into chapter 14, you'll see that the checks and balances that are in place for this gift are that the prophets have to visibly and physically assess the gift. And they have to authenticate that the gift is true because there's so much at stake. And therefore, they affirm if that gift is evident and present or they deny the person who is practicing what they're saying to be the gift. There's no room for false prophets to enter in related to this gift. There's no room for error. And I say this because you have to understand the one who possesses, and I could say this about all the gifts, but the one who possesses the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, he or she is simply an instrument. An instrument of God's decrees to others. The vehicle through which God is using to promote what he has to say. So I believe that this gift is specifically related to direct audible revelation from God and I believe that it is authenticated in the hearing and physical presence of the prophets I'm not pulling that from some book some commentary it's in chapter 14 it's in the chapters that proceed beyond our own and so I want you to Understand that when the discussion begins about if a gift has continued or a gift has ceased, you have to look at the parameters around the gift and understand the intention around the gift. And then from the faith that you have in your heart to visibly seeing what you see, you look and you say, is this in practice today in the way that it was practiced before? Because God does not change the practice of his gifts. So often a lot of things that are said about the continuation or cessation of a gift is typically rooted in mere sight, what people see, or it's rooted in some idea that God cannot. We are certain that God can certainly distribute this gift as he pleases. 
Your job is not to try to provoke his timeline or to provoke him to do it. Your job is to discern if the gift is present. And if it's not, we must not pretend it is. The point being, you have to view the gifts in the way that they were given because the spirit does not change the way that they're given. He doesn't change the way that they're given. And he doesn't give them to everybody. So not everybody has prophecy and not everybody had prophecy as a gift in the time in which Paul is writing. In fact, in their time, Paul wanted them because they were fighting about the gifts themselves. Paul wanted them to desire the gift of prophecy specifically, because in that time, historically speaking, it was certainly superior compared to the gifts of languages and some of the other gifts. The people needed a word from God directly and specifically. They didn't need a word from any of the people that surrounded them. They didn't simply need a word from their fellow churchgoers, so to speak. They needed a word directly from God. So you must ask yourself that longing for that was on the basis of a canon that was still in its completion mode. Hadn't yet been finished. And so the people longed for this, or they were supposed to. Therefore, as we see this, the operation of these gifts, and we'll see this further along, as I've mentioned in the remaining studies. This really is an introduction into prophecy because we end up talking about it more. But I want you to understand from uh, from chapter 12 to 14, and I would commend this. I mean this in the most encouraging way. I would commend this to your study because it's important to understand how gifts function, not just that they function. The operation of these gifts, as we will see further along in the remaining chapters, were to be sanctioned and observed by the New Testament apostles and prophets. Let's pause. We'll talk about this in a minute. Even the charismatic mind and movement. I'll give them this. They understand that that's necessary. They misapply why they believe that's necessary. And you want to know how they do that? They look at gifts like prophecy And they look at gifts like languages and they go, let's create apostles and prophets to observe those gifts. So that's a wrong application of a gift that was rightly practiced that way. So you're not supposed to create prophets and create apostles, operate the gift and then say, hey, you pretend apostle and prophet. Observe this pretend gift. But that's what they do. No, you're supposed to, in the presence of real apostles and prophets, practice the gift and then have the gift authenticated by real prophets and apostles. Even the office of prophet is very particular concerning this gift. So you must ask yourself as you study about prophecy and prophets, are there prophets today? Well, then you look at what a prophet does and you look at the audible feature of God's voice coming to a man and then look at what the prophets and apostles say about God's audible voice. And then you make the determination that such does not exist today. And then you look at the fact that Paul himself says later on, as we look at the text, he's the last of all untimely born. He's the last 
prophet in the timeline of selected and elected prophets who has heard specifically and audibly from God. He's not the last in the apostolic age. John the Apostle is the last in the apostolic age because of the book of Revelation. But Paul is the last chosen to hear from God. There are no other apostles beyond him. The New Testament prophets are the last chosen to hear audibly from God. Because with the passing on of prophets, you have the gift giving way to preaching. So it's not that the gift stops because somehow God couldn't figure it out. It's that the gift gives way to something else. And that something else is powerful in its own right. So this gift was to be sanctioned and observed by New Testament apostles and prophets And listen to this, because we're looking at this in its historical context first, who had already been established. So Paul didn't say, go out and find prophets, go out and find apostles. No, he said, practice the gifts and the prophets and the apostles will come to where you're practicing and observe and authenticate that gift. You don't go and create them. You don't start saying apostle so and so and prophet so and so. No, the prophets were already there. The gift was to be distributed and the prophets were to come in and say, is that gift in line with all that we've explained it to me? So they were already established within the life of the local body. I'm getting that from as we read ahead to chapter 13 and 14. They're already there in the local body. They're already in the churches throughout Asia Minor at that time. So when we look at this, we are looking at what God has already established to already be measured when distributed. But also prophecy, as we note in 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll look at that briefly, prophecy was a superior gift in its comparison to the other gifts. Now, some people might not like that, but that doesn't matter what we like or what we feel or what we're thinking. God has determined that this is the superior gift. I would also say it's why those who are in error, those who are in false teaching and false practice, it's why they chase this one the most. It's why they want prophecy. That's why prophet so-and-so, prophet test so-and-so. They chase this one because this one is actually noted as the superior gift. But all they're reading is superior. And people in the flesh want to be superior in their own right. But listen to this. I'll give you the reason why it's noted as superior. And then we'll look at the brief few verses to help spell this out. Specifically, it was superior because of its edifying value compared to the other gifts. More specifically, there's a couple of things without mediation. So with languages, you needed mediation. And yet the people were chasing after the gift of languages. Paul is saying, I'd rather you prophesy. Also, think of the range of this gift in the life of those who received it. It had this effect. It brought encouragement. It brought consolation to people who are living at a time where the church is under grievous assault and the word of the Lord comes to them and it brings hope, consolation, 
encouragement. It also brings confidence. It brings confidence. It brings confidence to those who heard the prophecy. So now you're getting something of the content of prophecy. Let's look together very quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 to 5. Paul said, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Is he talking to me in 2023? No, he's talking to the Corinthians first and foremost. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue or language does not speak to men, but to God. Now, we'll get into this. He's not saying that there's another type of prayer language, that there's a God line, that a God back channel phone line that we can tap into. What he's saying is this gift that he's identifying as languages, in this instance, it's practiced without an interpreter. So he says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So you're not speaking to men with your gift of, of languages until it's interpreted by men, by, by one who has uh, the gift of interpretation. But he says, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But look at this. Prophecy is spoken in the language of the people. But one who prophesies speak to men. Look at this. It sounds just like what I said a few minutes ago. Speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He's building up himself until it's interpreted. But one who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in languages. Look at this. Unless he interprets known language being interpreted. Okay, we'll get into this. So that here's why I want you to pursue, O Corinthians, prophecy over languages so that the church may receive edifying. Now, what does it mean that you're building yourself up by speaking languages? We'll get into that a lot deeper when we look at interpretation and uh, the gift of languages. But what he's saying is you're speaking a language that was divinely, miraculously given to you that you didn't know beforehand. And if you're speaking that language without it being interpreted, uh, interpreted by the one who has the gift of interpretation, it is, in a sense, building you up because you know you're receiving a gift. You know you're speaking the things of God, but without interpretation, everyone whom that gift intended uh, to uh, touch and encourage, they don't receive that if it's not interpreted. So Paul is saying prophecy is something in which when it's spoken, it brings those consequences, positive consequences immediately. It encourages, it consoles it builds up. So I just want you to be clear why it's deemed superior. It's not superior because of the people who possess it. It's superior because of its lack of a mediator between the gift and those whom are intended to be blessed by the gift. There's no intermediary in that gift, whereas with languages there is. 
to speak a divine language, people need to interpret. Now to this, while there are some, and there are many, I wouldn't even say some, there are many who believe that preaching is prophecy. That preaching is prophecy in the present day. This would not be true for a couple of reasons. If you look at uh, if you look at in Timothy where it says preach the word, I think the greatest example of this is where it says preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You all are familiar with that. If you look at that, there's there's a couple of things as preach the word preach or preaching is used. First, they're different because they're two different, entirely different words in the Greek. And I would argue that in the Greek language, you're not only dealing with words, but words spell out concepts. And you're not only using two different words to say something, but two different concepts arriving, hopefully at the same place, but two very different concepts. So the words are different in Greek. And then you have two different concepts. And you're welcome to look up the words. I'm not going to get too far into that, but. Two different words, two different concepts. Prophecy is directly linked to the audible voice of God, first of all, coming through the instrument, the one who possesses the gift. It's linked directly to foretelling and forthtelling. From the audible voice of God to the one who speaks for God, the one who declares in the assembly to God. And it is divine disclosures from the mind of God to the people of God. There's no time to develop the gift. It's distributed. It comes out. Better be 100% accurate. And it's from God. And the person who receives it knows it's from God. The people who are in its hearing know it's from God. In fact... I think the surest test of this gift is if you walk into an assembly of believers and say, close your Bible. First of all, in this present age, we had never say that ever. But first of all, I believe there's a component where Bibles aren't evident or present to tell people to close. But you tell people to close them. you speak, you say, I have a word from the Lord. That word had better line up 100 percent accurate. Foretelling and foretelling. What you're disclosing had better come 100% true, and God told you specifically. Well, now the difference is that we can say, God told us. God has spoken to me and you through here. He has disclosed what He wants us to hear and what He wants us to say. And that gets into the function of it. But the stakes with prophecy are high, extremely high. I don't want to make it seem as though preaching is not the same, but failure to proclaim with 100% accuracy rendered the prophecy and speaker as completely and utterly false. Essentially, they were from Satan. Any misstep, any inaccuracy. This wasn't, let me go develop, let me go to a prophetic school to try to figure out If I can prophesy well, there's no development phase to this gift. It's spoken. It's declared. It comes directly and specifically from God, not preexistent, tangible canon. 
Letters and books I can touch. It comes specifically from him. And it had better be true. Preaching, although verbally spoken before God's people as prophecy was, it's distinct in that it is the developmental task that proceeds from the gift of teaching. And it is a task of drawing out the author's intended meaning from pre-existent text or canon. I say that very specifically. Text or canon, meaning I can speak for the prophets, I can speak for the apostles who ultimately spoke for God, and now in the age in which I find myself, I'm speaking from the word of God. So the task of preaching is to draw out the author's intended meaning from a previously transcribed text or previously heard oral traditions. And by that I mean of the prophets in the divine sense, of the apostles in the divine sense, because I'm thinking of early preachers. It is joined to teaching. It is joined to the gift of teaching in that it serves to explain that which is written. And it's not simply to give information, but it is a call to respond to what has been heard. So preaching is launching forward in pre-existent canon. And it is proclaiming what thus says the Lord, but removed from audible, direct revelation from him specifically. You're relying on the direct revelation he's given to others to craft what needs to be said from his intended meaning. You're relying preaching on the authorship of the Holy Spirit, the divine authorship of the Holy Spirit. Whereas prophecy, you're relying on the audible voice of God directly revealing what he has so that it can be spoken to the people who hear. I hope that's clear. So I believe they're distinct in, in those ways. The speaker, however, there are similarities. The speaker's tasked with declaring God's word in both instances. Still, the aim is to be accurate. But the agency through which the speaker is tasked is what separates the two. I've said it. The prophet is provoked and tasked by God directly. The gift of prophecy was to be spoken from God directly. It's why the role is not simply affirmation, it's authentication. It is authentication. Whereas the preacher is provoked and tasked by God, but prompted to proclaim that which has been previously transcribed and authored by the former prophets, apostles, and Christ himself. It is also why the gift was sanctioned by God in his spirit, but to only be carried out before, as I said with prophecy, other prophets and apostles who could authenticate what was said before God's people as directly from the mind of God. This is why understanding the sum of substance and the content of prophecy is essential. If you look at Paul's warning in verse 2, it also reminds us that Jesus, Jesus is the focal point and foundation of New Testament prophecy. In Revelation, it says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
He's the content. He's the source. He's the substance of all prophecy. If you look back to the Old Testament prophets, what they were saying led to the hope of the Messiah. What the New Testament prophets were proclaiming led to the reality of the Messiah and what he had done on Calvary, but not only on Calvary, what he'll do in his return. What the preacher is tasked with is, tasked with is looking at the transcription, the canon, saying, here's what was said before my time. And here's how it relates to our time. So you have Jesus as the focal point. Remember in verse Two and three, they were speaking prophetically, but falsely. It was false prophecy because there is no true prophecy that curses Christ. I mean, that's something that will never happen and has never happened. Christ is the ultimate superior blessed one, the holy one. So there is no prophecy that can be fulfilled and whereby Christ is less than the Son of God, the ultimate King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So the Messiah was certainly the focal point in the Old Testament, but you have to relate the gift to its dispensation and covenants. You have that this gift was necessary because his detailed works and point of arrival from the vantage point of the church in Corinth, looking forward from their time, his detailed works and point of arrival had not been yet fully disclosed. It had only been partially disclosed. Prophets had the task of fully disclosing what God wanted to be revealed in that time. So I believe you had preaching and you also had prophecy in that time. I believe it's also why Paul brings up what he does about the perfect, which we'll get to. But preaching is also full disclosure. Because it builds off prophecy. It builds off prophecy. But it's also, listen to this, it's also why later on in the New Testament we hear the caution for there not to be many teachers. Because accuracy is still very much required. It has components related to the past, present, and future, preaching does. But those are written and revealed. I'm not coming up to you and saying God gave me an audible word from his audible voice. That would render everything I have to say after that false because I'm dishonest about what I have to say. Nor would I be accurate if I think I'm hearing from him when I've already heard from him, as Peter said, concerning his word. So the preacher speaks from the mystery of godliness fully revealed in his time. But does not speak beyond what is written or what is accessible to the people of God. The preacher is confined to the canon. The church is confined to the canon. And that's not a bad thing. That is a superior thing. And we have a full canon in which we are confined to. There's also great, fee- great freedom in that confinement. So then preaching is tied to the teaching gift. Although not mentioned directly here, but mentioned in other places, such as in Ephesians, whereas prophecy is tied to the gifts of charisma given directly by the spirit and observed by other prophets and apostles. There is also a distinction in that the prophets were male and female. The gift of prophecy was given to males or females, whereas teachers, the gift of teaching 
in the context of preaching before the people in the New Testament were given to males and elders of the Lord's church. As we look at this, and I want to say this and we'll probably we'll probably continue next time on the distinguishing of spirits and join that to tongues. It's not the task to prop up a continuation of prophets and apostles in the modern church. That's not our task. It's not, well, we desire the gifts, so let's pretend that people are actually in the offices to observe the gifts. That's not our task. But it is the task to be faithful stewards of the actual gifts. Distributing by the spirit as he wills to distribute them among his people. When people scoff and say, well, you think the gifts have ceased, you have no faith. No, I do have faith. I have faith about the actual gifts that are in practice. And I have faith that the Holy Spirit distributed them. And I have faith that however many gifts are operative today, they're just as effective as the ones that were operative before my time. But I'm not about to pretend that the things we see today calling themselves spiritual gifts have anything to do with the spirit at all. Many of those things are fleshly, new age, something mystical, definitely something satanic and confusing. Paul didn't inject confusion into the lives of the Corinthians. They were already confused. He wanted to inject certainty and clarity. As we end, we know when man has pretended to advance and practice the gifts of the spirit, when they prop up something that sounds like gifts and offices, but operate those things in the flesh, we can be sure no matter what those things are called, they are not related to the triune God among whom we find God the Holy Spirit. Next time we'll look at distinguishing of spirits and we'll begin to look at tongues. Let's pray.